See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert. Not a way, you know, on the greens, a way where it's in the desert. I am bringing streams in the wasteland. This is the promise of the Lord. We talked about a year of being in prayer in the presence of the Lord. I don't want it to be mistaken that prayer in the presence of the Lord are just the devoted times that we pray. Those will be significant and incredible. But it's our constant practicing the presence of the Lord, of just being with him on a constant basis that will make the biggest difference. Father, I thank you for your word and your love for these people, your people. Lord, that you have a heart for them. Lord, you have a heart for us. I thank you, Lord, that you are desiring to bless us. And Lord, I am no different than them. I'm not just preaching to them. I preach to myself too. Lord, I don't, I'm not one who just sits above. Lord, I'm just one of the people as well. And I thank you, Lord, that I can grow and learn too. Lord, I preach to myself so that I won't be disqualified in a sense. And Lord, I pray, God, that your grace would open up our eyes, Lord, to the prophetic word that you have for us this morning. And I do believe it's prophetic. And Lord, I believe it's a word from you that you want to speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd make the scriptures come to life. And I pray that we'd embrace the truths that you have in them. Lord, such hope, such promise you have for us. I just stand against the fear and the darkness, Lord, of the enemy who would want to bring fear and doubt. I stand against it by the power of Jesus' name. I stand against the darkness and I say, flee and be gone. Lord, I pray, Lord, shackles of the past, words that say, that condemn. Lord, words that belittle or put down. Let them, that the words themselves, the meaning, the spirit behind them be brought low. Lord, like the, the bales and the Asherah poles of yesteryear. Lord, let your name be lifted up in each life, in each family, in the name of Jesus Christ. Bring your grace and power. Lord, we turn to you. If you do not move, nothing will happen. We ask you to. And Lord, change our hearts to be in step with you. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Lord, that's what we want to do. So drive us towards you, Lord. And I praise you, Lord, that even when I am faithless at times, Lord, and doubting, Lord, that you are still faithful. Lord, even when the trials overwhelm me and I feel like they won't end or you seem to have trials with new shapes and colors, Lord, that they, you help me to overcome and I become more powerful and I become more mighty in the Lord. And so I put on the armor of God. We put on the armor of God. Lord, we are not just individuals. We are the people of God. We are a city, Lord, a city that is meant to be lit bright. Lord, empower us, fortify us, keep us secure. Protect us from the enemy and let your favor, let your promises come to fruition. I speak to the dreams that are dormant and I say, come alive for the Lord is here and he brings it nigh in Jesus' mighty name. If you agree with that, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. God is good. 
I'm going to start right into some history uh, for those of you who weren't here last week. And and also, I thought it might be great to put it in visual uh, to get us a little context of history. Uh, Most people know a genesis of Adam moving down to Noah, and then some people know the story of Abraham. Then when they get to 1st and 2nd Kings and uh, first to Sex Samuel, first Sex Kings, first Sex Chronicles, and into the Psalms and Proverbs, they get a little more confused. Um, can everyone say King David? King David is born right there, 1040 BC. This is kind of the time frame. I'll just take about three or four minutes on this. 1040 BC, we have this time frame of about a thousand years before the time of Christ. Uh, David patted his heart to build this temple. Now, do you guys want to see the new temple? And look to your neighbor. There it is. Not bad, huh? How many think some of them can use a little more shrubbery, maybe some patios? Uh, How many have been at work lately sharing Christ? Oh, so you've seen the Gentile courts, right, of the temple. How many know that that the presence of God has decided to dwell in man? How many say Amen. And it only happens one way, because why would a most holy God dwell in a pot-smoking, coke-head loser like me, right? Because he'll clean him up, not... Imagine if God had to clean me up before he'd dwell in me. Well, he still wouldn't be in me. But the reason is, is he removed his wrath by the work of Christ. And now he's able to deposit his Holy Spirit in me, and and he dwells in me. And I am not the temple, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in me. Well, this first temple that Solomon built, okay, you're looking about 956 BC, and and you have Solomon, he's going to squander what he has. He's going to build, you know, a a, a temple of the Lord, and then he's going to build his house mighty, you know, know, way, way larger, much more grander. It's like a lot of people. You know, they, they, they see the things of God and they give them this $5 and then they build, they spend their whole riches into themselves. It's kind of where Solomon is. And Solomon's fall really came when he married, married Pharaoh's daughter. You know, the express, uh, you know, enemy of God, he married the daughter and then he adopted all her idolatry. And little by little, he just fell and he got married and had concubines and added all kinds of stuff. It's every woman's dream, you know, to have 10,000 other women and one other guy, Right? <laughs> That's how all the romantic comedies go, right? Serendipity, dippity, 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 right? There's the movie, movie rights. And, and so Solomon blows it, but David, God keeps his promise to David and says, Solomon's going to build it. And he even tells Solomon, I'll keep it straight with you because of David. And Solomon does make some wise decisions at the beginning. He is the writer of a lot of the Proverbs. And then his son, the empire falls, and it falls into two categories, and we get to 796 B.C. And Israel, the northern tribe, and Judah, the southern tribe, are broken up into two separate tribes, okay? It's called the Great Divorce um, in uh, biblical history. And the ten tribes go with Israel, and two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, go with, um, with the tribe of Judah, and, and they separate and then you have a bunch of prophets now prophesying some things. And then you have the fall of Israel and Judah to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Who's heard of Neb, right? I played soccer with a kid named Neb. 
And I go, <laughs> I didn't know what his name meant now. But, but you, he had some strong attributes too. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar did as well. He really did. Um, and he always treated um, um, uh, some, some of the prophets very well. Now, Isaiah 725 B.C., 725. And then we're going to get 250 years later, we're going to get to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Say 250. 250. So I want you to see here that 250 years prior, he's going to name King Cyrus. He's going to say, Jeremiah is going to be prophesying a little bit after this that there's going to be a fall of the empire of the Israel and Judah. And he's going to prophesy, Isaiah is going to prophesy that there's going to be a restoring of this. They're going to go into captivity for 70 years, Jeremiah says, and Daniel says as well. They're going to go into captivity. And then there's going to be a king named King Cyrus who's going to show up and he's going to declare that the temple and the city and all that be rebuilt. He's going to give an edict or a decree. Now, this is 250 years before it happens. How many think the Bible is pretty cool? Okay, I mentioned this last week a little bit here. Now, this is a, a pretty fantastic. So, so this is where we go. And then so Jeremiah, you see it there in his prophecy. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland. They'll become scattered. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And Babylon's going to be there for about 70 years of captivity for Israel. And then the Persian Empire is going to rise. And there's going to be a guy who discovers this Persian Empire, the first king. And that's, say it with me, Cyrus. Cyrus, who Isaiah names 250 years before he's born. Now, how many think that's prophecy? Now, that's prophecy. Okay? It's, that, that's why they're called prophets. Okay, because they prophesy events that actually come to be. That's pretty spectacular. And then we get that temple is destroyed in 586 B.C. You see it right over there. And King Nebuchadnezzar takes them captive, and the Israelite nation becomes no more. Okay, no army, no temple, no identity, no partnership, no camaraderie, no city, no city walls, no, no shields, no tanks so to speak, nothing. Okay, that's where they are. And then we get to 539 B.C. when um, Cyrus comes in, and uh, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke on the last one. It was Nebuchadnezzar. Now Cyrus from Persia comes in and conquers Babylon, and you get Cyrus at 539. He makes the edict in 538 B.C., and then the book of Ezra comes about. And I'm not going to get into, there's a bunch of little books, Zechariah and others right in that area. I won't go into all the details. But the second temple is erected then in 515 BC. Now, God is not just talking about this temple. How many know he's talking about us? How many say amen? amen. He's not just talking about they want to get this big building. Like, like God's going, I want this building instructed. If you read the book of Hebrews, you understand that it is a representation, this temple and its rituals to get through, and, and its difficulty to, of conquering the sin and the death. It's a picture of us and our struggle with sin and death to try to get to this holy God. And how Christ, when he was crucified... The temple was actually torn in half, the veil torn in half. You know, the Passion of the Christ did a great picture of it, torn in half, giving us access into the presence of God. And Ezra here is right now in the middle of building the second temple, and Zerubbabel, say it with me, Zerubbabel. Okay, how many like the little history lesson you're getting? 
Okay, so Zerubbabel comes and he rallies the people. He gets an edict. Him and Ezra get an edict from a king. Now this king's name is King Artaxerxes. Okay, say Artaxerxes. Okay, now there's two of them, Artaxerxes the one and Artaxerxes the second, but this whole Ezra and Nehemiah is Artaxerxes the first. Okay, now what's going to happen is, is then he shows up in Ezra before he shows up in Nehemiah. This is really important. That's why I'm giving you this history. In 515 BC, he makes this temple. And then by 445 BC, um, he gets the, Nehemiah finally gets the letter by Artaxerxes. But what happens in between? Let me tell you. As Ezra starts to build the temple, all of a sudden, these local guys, local leaders, they start to protest it. They're the governors of Trans-Euphrates, that whole area. And they start saying, these guys are troublemakers. You should check out the history of these guys. They're not good, these Israelites. He said, he said, you should stop this. So Artaxerxes, the same king, sets a decree and says, well, tell him to stop. And I'm going to read this letter that he, he has in, in just a little bit. And understand that they, all, they tear down the wall and they break it, they put fire to it, and all there's left is the temple. They have a temple with no city walls, and all the enemies of that area are looking at it and going, huh. Let's take these guys down. And they start getting attacked and attacked and attacked. And that's where I was last week. Nehemiah starts to hear this message that his people are getting attacked, that the promise has halted, that that was spoken. It's not coming all the way through. And he's going, there's got to be something. And he rises up. And I think to myself, what can happen sometimes if just one man rises up? One man, and, and, and if you're, I said this first service, not at this time, but, but listen, if you think it's somebody else, think again. It might be you, yeah. right? It might be you. It's maybe not just somebody else. Maybe it's you that needs to rise up. Now, Ezra was never focused on the people's hardships because he was in the midst of it. He was really focused on the temple, its rituals, and what needed to be done to restore God's honor. So now you have a temple built, and all the walls broken, and in Nehemiah 1, where I was last week, you hear this rumblings of Nehemiah hearing this complaints from his brother Hananiah, where he hears this, and he goes, oh, this, what's happening? He says, they're getting attacked, they're getting killed. And he's going, we're supposed to be an influence. Can I tell you, are we supposed to be an influence? How many say Amen. Is your family meant to be a light in this world or, or just to cower down? There's so much defeat that we live in. And to give you the rest of the context of history, there you have Greece is going to come in, 350 BC, and then Caesar, Augustus, and Rome, you know, right uh, before the time of Christ comes into power. And there you have four kingdoms spoken by Daniel exactly like they said. And we are still living in the echoes of the Roman Empire. You know, Christopher Columbus came right out here, discovered America, and we are part of that Roman uh, uh, government that has expanded into the West and still rules the world today in different ways. Jesus was born at that time, then he died, and then in 70 AD, the second temple was destroyed by Ezra. Herod, during that time, made some modifications to it and helped it to build relationships with the Jews. And then in 70 AD, the Roman 
soldiers walked into Jerusalem just as Jesus prophesied, and they took that temple and tore it down. And guess what? There's no sacrifices being made. And guess what? We don't need sacrifices being made, do we? We don't need dogs and animals or, or uh, birds or anything sacrificed for us because we already have the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. How many say amen? amen. So this is very good news. And one of the things I love about Bible, Bible history and Bible knowledge is it's got real things in it. There's real history to it. There you can see right there the tomb of Artaxerxes of Persia right now. Isn't that awesome? How incredible it is. And there's, I could have spent the whole time just showing you historical things. Well, here are my two main points. And Lord, I, I pray that you make these come alive in Jesus' name. Is I'm going to look at two attributes for us. Nehemiah was a risk taker and Nehemiah was a prayer warrior. He was a prayer warrior. That's who he was. Now, Nehemiah is going to talk about a city being restored, a temple being rebuilt, outer walls being fortified, uh, protected and called people. But he, I want you to contextualize it for us. Translate it. That we are a chosen people and city being restored. How many say amen? amen. We are not just a city, a community being restored. We are individuals being reborn, rebuilt by the temple of the Lord. And together we are, Ephesians says, living stones. Peter says living stones in in 1 Peter put on top of each other meant to be a house of God. We are a presence as a church that protects and influences the world through the gospel. It is the power of salvation to those who believe and I'm not ashamed of it. So we say, Lord Jesus, heal our soul. Heal that soul, that city. Restore our identity and redeem our purpose. All right, how many are ready to go right into the heart of it? Okay, here we go. Okay, it begins. Okay, and here we are. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th century of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, four months have gone by. Nehemiah heard the message, things are bad. It's not good. Jerusalem's being rebuilt. We see Nehemiah here in Susa, in the city of Persia. He's serving the king of the world, okay? This guy rules everything. And you do not go into the presence of king with a casual attitude. I don't know if you've seen some of the photos or the videos played. They're pretty disturbing of the early Saddam Hussein. When Saddam Hussein, a, a wicked king of modern Babylon, you know, at the time, and, and Saddam Hussein had these videos where he would go into the people and the people would perform for him. And he would just stand there bored while they did stuff to him. And then he'd just shout out for them to kill themselves and they'd kill themselves on the spot to spare their families' lives. He'd have them stab themselves in the head, all kinds of crazy, disgusting things. Because when you're in the presence of a king who rules the world at his whim, he can do what he wants. And I don't bring this just to scare, but understand that they were building things and at a moment's notice that all changed by this king. This is a king that stood against them, stood against their future, stood against their promise, stood against the word of the Lord. Something that God had spoken. And it says, 
When wine was brought before him, I took the wine because the cupbearer drinks the wine. He's the taste tester and he gave it to the king. Okay, and understand, it's not a good idea for servants to display any negative emotions for the king because the king might take it as, what are you, dissatisfied? You don't like working for the king? There's something wrong? Working for the king ain't good enough for you? And you're going to see next week, we're going to get the queen involved too. (sighs) I have not been sad in his presence before. And I, I want you to see this, and this is really the, the cornerstone, it's the beginning cornerstone of the message. Nehemiah is so undone about what needs to happen, the promises of God that need to be fulfilled. He's so stirred up, and he realizes that the only way this will be, happen is to unblock the blocker. Like this is the only way. He can't run a run around. He can't do an 88 sweep. Okay? It's got to go down the middle. And this is it. And this is where really in my heart, this is the best way to say it. This is the time where you either go for it or you go home. You either take the shot and you go for it and you say, God called me to do it and you do it or you go home. That's it. And trust me, he's been stewing over this for four months. And as a people, they've been stewing this over about, about 70 years in captivity. And then now some multitude of 90-something years of just trying to build things and not getting it right. This is where they are. Nehemiah is going to go for it. Number one, Nehemiah is a risk taker. I had not been sad in his presence for before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad? I know you're not sick, right? I know you're not sick. Like, this can't be nothing but sadness of heart. It's like he's looking at him. He's going, I know you're not sick. Like, are you, like, unhappy? Is that what it is? Right? Think about it. This is the first time he's ever seen Nehemiah, this close, this person who's, he's got to trust, who's basically put his own life on the line before him who's you're going to see in this writing, has even developed a heart for him, which is pretty amazing. And this is the first time he sees him with a little bit of dejection, and he gives a quick diagnosis, and it's, you're discontent, aren't you? You're discontent. Now, there's a lot of people, there's times where we need to be transparent. I doubt that being transparent before the king, an enemy king who has you captive, is the best plan. Amen? I mean, you, you, you're transparent to your wife. You're transparent to your cousin in the back room. You go, man, I'm so bad. I'm sad. It's not going really well. This is not him just being sad. This is him saying, I'm taking the truth. I'm taking everything that's real. I'm not going to play it. I'm not, there's no game anymore. I'm not going to market it. Well, he is going to market it a little bit, but he's going to go right there. He's going to go, I'm just going to lay it on the line right now. And it's like, it's the what if. What if there's no other place to go but here? He's got everything to gain, and he's got everything to lose. Go for it or go home. How many say amen? amen. Listen, how many, just, you've heard me now, and I know you're going to give me a paper thin go for it, but how many want to go for it already? Yeah. Come on. You want to go for it. Listen, wherever you are right now, you need to weigh it. Because we are in a prophetic move of God. 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you as the leader of our local church, but I'm more than that. You don't know who I am. But I'm telling you that God is doing even more than this. And I do not want to be one of those who are looking at the butterflies flying around. I want to be one flying in the air, soaring like wings of eagles. Amen? Amen. And don't you. The anger of the king is a deadly threat. The wise will try to appease it. Now, Nehemiah is stressing out. He knows this is the only place. There's no other way. He could stew on this another four months. But here he gets, I mean, understand, this is March, okay? March is the new year. It's the Persian New Year. It's right at the beginning. It's where they launch everything. You know, here's our plans and here's our schedule. Everything getting launched in March. It's 445 BC. So we got quite a bit of time between the edict at 539 and 538 of King Cyrus. The temple's already built. His heart's agonizing. And they've already, Ezra has already attempted to rebuild the walls. And now the same king who put the decree to stop it, he's got to go to it. And Nehemiah makes his move. Now I want you to see this letter that stopped it so you know what's going on. Okay? And this is the past here. Ezra 411. This is the letter from the governors from Trans-Euphrates. I'm not going to give you all their names, but we'll get to them, trust me. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in Trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They're restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Listen, translation, king, they got their own God they worship, not you, almighty king. We who serve you are the Xerxes, a great one, empire of the worlds. They come and they ruin that. They're a wicked city. You don't want that. You don't want that here. You don't want its presence. You don't want its glory. They're going to start restoring the walls and start fortifying. They're, start, they're going to start getting the foundations and repair it. Uh, no. Furthermore, the king should know that if the city is built and its walls are restored, because trust me, you have an enemy of your soul. It's, he's called Satan, Lucifer. The king should know if this city is built and its walls are restored, there's going to be no more taxes. There's going to be no more money. Money's going to go elsewhere. It's going to go to this kingdom thing. Taxes, tribute, duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. You're not going to look as good. What about all the money? What about our armies? What about what we're building? And so we inform the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. And so in humility and in service to the king, we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors. How many, by the way, how many of your own archives? <laughs> how about three of you? I'm telling you, we have our own archives of our own past, don't we? And I don't know, I don't know what your archives looked at like, but my archives are ugly. You start playing the film of my archives, you're going, what's he doing on the stage? There is a wicked man. But you know what? Thank God for the redemption of Christ. Thank God that he's restoring these walls and he's rebuilding my city inside of me and around us. Amen? Because I'm not the only one. 
He says, in these records, they say, you will find that the city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place with a long history of sedition. That's right, because we don't respond to more bricks, less straw. Amen? Listen, can I just go back to the first giving thing that I talked about? Why would you want to subject yourself to the world and its ways? You, you don't, the, 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 the offering of putting your faith in Christ and letting have your talents and your finances and your resources is such a small thing. It reminds me of an early friend, an early guy that we led to Christ years ago, probably 25 years ago. And we led him to Christ and he goes, I've given up so much to the Lord. And Jody looked at him like, what did you give up? <laughs> she looked at him and she goes, what's your crack? <laughs> your weed? You know, you're, she started naming all this stuff, and he goes, yeah, I guess it is pretty pathetic. I didn't really give up much. You've given nothing up. You know, it's like I gave up so much for the Lord. Yeah, I gave up my depression, my suicidal thoughts, you know, my the futureless world, you know what I mean, my inability to make relationships, my em- emotional torment, and my devastating heart, and my personal wickedness and selfish ambition, and I got the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave me a family and a life, and he restored my soul, gave me joy in my heart. He gave me hope for the future. He gave me a stunning wife. He, he gave me kids. You know what I mean? You know, I, can, do I go on? He's given me a future, and then I'm going to be spending eternity with him. Huh, that's all. That's all. No big deal. Listen. This is an amazing thing. This is why this city was destroyed. They're rebellious. They're troublesome. No money. It's, it's burdensome. This is a historic problem, child. And I know that some of you guys come out of the other, other, other religions, and you're the black sheep. Well, guess what? You're the sheep now. Amen? Amen. And take off the word black and say, I'm one of Jesus' sheep. Yes. In fact, some of you ought to say it and get rid of that. And say, I am a child of the king. I am an heir to the king of kings. I tell you the truth. You are an heir to the king of kings. We are an heir with the Lord, in the Lord. Trust me, it's all through the scriptures. We are a royal priesthood. That's kingly. A chosen people. Man, the... Most people don't realize this, but the saddest thing I ever hear from people in the church is they come up to me and they go, hey, I go to your church. I'm like, oh, too bad. (laughs) I wish you were just the church. I wish you came here because you were the church here. Instead of coming to our church, that somehow in your mind you think it's our church. Don't you understand? I don't have a church. It never says Eric will build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Anything Eric builds, heaven can destroy it. Hell can destroy it. Anything can destroy it. (laughs) Listen, if the church ever came in and turned around in all its power and just turned around and looked outside and just put its foot down and said, we are the church, this world would change. Listen what's going to happen in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to rally the people. They are going to build that temple in record time and they're going to fortify it and each family is going to take responsibility for all different kinds of areas and it's going to become an influence there's going to be so much affluence in that place it's going to be amazing 
And God is going to pour out his blessing. And you're going to see it. And the church today, about 2% gets involved. The rest just kind of participate as if going to a movie. You know, did you go to Jordan Commons or the Adventure or the, the South Mountain? Where'd you go today? Well, I just, I don't know. Listen, that's not what the church is. The church, we are the people of the living God, united in power. And, and it's not just the, the church, it's the families, it's you as an individual. God wants to fortify us. This is why I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the man. He is go get it or go home. Go for it or go home. Back to Nehemiah. Let's take him. I was very much afraid. Listen, he goes to the king and he says, all right, tell you what, king, and he lays it out. I'm sad. I said to the king, may the king live forever. And he's right there. He just proclaims his loyalty to the king. He's going, king, I'm on your side. I'm not against you. Why should not my face be sad, though? When the city, the place where my father's buried, my father's graves, it lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And that's where he's saying that the city, he goes for it here. And this is the second emphasis. Number two is Nehemiah not only is a risk taker, he's a prayer warrior. And the king said to me, all right, all right, all right. Okay, I get it, I get it. Not, you're not just ha- unhappy with me, it's something else. All right, I got, okay, I'm the one who closed it down. All right, okay, what is it, Nehemiah? What do you want? What do you want, Nehemiah? I think, man, I see dreams stirring within your souls, just floating like as if to be unleashed. And the Lord's saying, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? What is it that the Lord has put there that's ready to be unleashed? This is the time where Nehemiah could go, well, there's really nothing. There's nothing. And it's like, I love Nehemiah because he goes right to the Lord. He doesn't go, oh, well, this is what I want. He just goes, he goes, what do you want? Nehemiah looks at him and it's like, I'm going to pray, Lord, give me the right words. I've been praying for four months, Lord. Some of you have been praying for years. He said, Lord, stick it in my soul right now. Give me the words to say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Give me the boldness. I prayed and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor, if, you, if I have grace in your eyes, if God, if God opened your eyes, if this is the miracle that I hope it to be, that the promises of God will finally come through, if your servant has found favor in his sight, and understand this is the courteous attitude that you only find with Esther when she is coming there on behalf of Mordecai. Let him send me. King Artaxerxes, ruler of the world. I want you to send me. I want you to send me to the city of Judah. I don't want you to go. I don't want you, the hired hand, to go. I hear the authority here. You empower me. Send me. Because if I'm sent by you in this world where my ancestors send me there so that I can rebuild it, and I love how he adds, and he says, and I said to him, and 
He adds to it, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter. I want letters so that I can give them to the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Remember the guys that said no? I want letters that say yes. I want letters where it's always been no. I want letters that say yes. It's going to happen so that they will provide me safe conduct until I get there. I want my feet in Judah. We've been dreaming about this as a people that we would find our promise. And I want a letter to Asaph, who has the royal gardens, the parks, and I want the timber from there. I want our gates made of the best stuff. You go for it or you go home. It's like he's making it to the specs that the Lord gave him. And I understand we want to make the dream smaller and smaller and smaller so it fits in our world rather than what the Lord has. And he says, he'll give me timber to make beams for gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And he goes, and by the way, I want some wood for my own house. How many say amen? Amen. How many need some wood for your own house? And this is what it is. And you don't think... You don't think we have letters? You don't think the Lord has letters in a day of reckoning? He does. It's a day of reckoning. Those letters are red letters. Amen? The red letters in the form of Jesus. We have red letters that confound our enemy. The rules and regulations and words of the enemy were nailed to the cross. And he sits in triumph over them. They will help us build a future. And I want you to see this. I have spit all over my computer. (laughs) And you can literally walk up here and just give it a loogie and it would not matter. I'm telling you. This is the time to respond to God. This is not time to play sermon church. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you, may it not be said that this pastor did not speak to you the word from the Lord because he did. And I say right now that you rise up and you go for it because the Lord is ready to unleash what he's going to do. Not tomorrow. We have to wait. There's a waiting in the Lord that happens. It's prophetic. But there's also a going that says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. We don't want to do more than the Lord is showing. We don't want to be impatient, but we embrace what the Lord is bringing. We have the promise of the Lord. How many say amen? Give me the loudest amen that it says yes. Amen. And listen, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. we We have the power of the Lord. We have the promise of the Lord. Can I just speak on behalf of our church, the Adventure Church? We have prophetic words spoken over us. If you're here, and I I don't say this arrogantly, you are blessed. There is a great blessing. And I promise you that God has some fantastic things that are going to blow your minds, that are going to do it. And it's just going to fit who you are. 
It's not just for Eric. It's not Eric's vision, Eric's dream, and what he wants to do. Trust me, God is much bigger than little Eric Van Rie. And it's not just about Eric and his, his the family. It's about you and us together and what God has and our influence to the world. The gracious hand of my God is on us. Amen? Can you just stand with me and lift up holy hands to God? Just lift up holy hands to God. They're holy because of Christ. And just speak it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready to go for it. Let the Lord, there's a no right there. There's a no where the Lord's saying, you've got to say no to something. You've got to say no to something. He's saying no more this or no more that. I don't know what it is. It's not legalistic. It's just the Lord's voice. He's speaking to you. It's like well, maybe it's no more fear or no more something that you're doing or no more doubting. You know, whatever it is that the Lord says, or he, he wants you to walk through your doubting. Whatever it is, I want you to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go for it. And I'm saying, keep your eyes closed. I'm saying, this is not another sermon. I'm saying that whatever you are today, you will never be in this spot again. You will never, ever, ever be in this spot again. Because in the Spirit, in the Lord, you are taking not two steps back and forward and one step back. You are taking 50 steps forward. Because the Lord is granting you favor right now. And you say, Lord, I embrace it. I say, I will go for it. And it's not your house. It's God's kingdom. And you say, yes, Lord. Just speak to him. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious hand is upon us. And can we just speak the praise? Hallelujah to the king. Speak it out loud all over this place, loud as you can. Hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah to the the Lord who was faithful in all his ways. Lord, Moses was faithful over the house of God in every possible way. But Jesus is the house, the builder of that house. And Lord, we are the stones, the, the living stones that are put together to build that house. I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. Pour this promise on our children. Pour this promise on our influence, those who will influence, Lord, and bring your mighty power. Increase. Just grab somebody's hand right now and just say, Lord, increase their faith. Increase the measure of their trust. And really, if if it's your wife or someone someone in your, your family, put your hand on them and say, Lord, pour out a measure of power in them. Do it. Don't do it because of me. Feel the power of the Lord. Push it into them. Lord, pull in them the power from your spirit, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, in a way that only you can do. Lord, push it into them, Lord. Pour it out into them, through them, Lord, in their way, in who they are, Lord, in their unique way, in who they are and who you've made them to be, in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just lift up your spirit, can lift up the name of the Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the King. Hallelujah to the Lord. The mighty God, we bless your name. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to the King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. We bless you, Lord.
Listen, fasten your seatbelts because Nehemiah is going to go. It's going to go to the Autobahn speed limit. Amen? Fasten your seatbelts. We are never moving backwards. We are moving forwards. Amen? God bless. We'll see you next week.